Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Heart Rhythm Disorders and Influenza webinar hosted in partnership by the National Minority Quality Forum's Center for Sustainable Healthcare Quality and Equity with the Heart Rhythm Society. We are elated for you guys to join us today. My name is Kristen Hobbs. I will be moderating our session with our esteemed panelists. I'm the Senior Project Manager of Quality Improvement and Equity at NMQF SHC. And we have with us today, Dr. Jonathan Sue, who is the Associate Professor of Medicine in the section of cardiac, cardiac Electrophysiology Division of Cardiology at the University of California, San Diego. Welcome, Dr. Sue. Thank you so much. Really appreciate being here. Absolutely. And we have Dr. Daniel Fagdui, who is affectionately known to us as Dr. Dan, who is an ER physician, a biodefense expert, a veteran, a media personality, and our NMQF partner. Welcome, Dr. Dan. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So today we will talk about NMQF and SHC, the Heart Rhythm Society. We'll talk through some of the data for influenza vaccinations across the general population, across racial and ethnic groups, and for patients living with heart rhythm disorders. We'll talk about the ACIP recommendations, and then we'll do a panel Q&A. So the National Minority Quality Forum was founded in 1998 by Dr. Gary Puckrin. The basis of what we do is addressing the um, social determinants of health for underserved populations, historically excluded populations, and communities of color using data. That's really the crux of what we do. And at SHC, we use that data to build sustainable, healthy communities in every single zip code. So communities of color are prioritized, yes, but we also focus on rural communities, pregnant people, and people living with chronic illnesses. We really base our foundation on quality improvement and clinical education through a health equity lens. Our president is Dr. Laura Lee Hall, you know me, and we also have our quality improvement and equity project manager who just joined us a couple of months ago. Her name is Chinny. And the Heart Rhythm Society is the international leader in science, education, and advocacy for cardiac arrhythmia professionals and patients, and is primary information resource on heart rhythm disorders. And their vision is to end death and suffering due to heart rhythm disorders. The Heart Rhythm Society's mission is to improve the care of patients by promoting research, education, and optimal healthcare policies and standards. So now I'll turn it over to Dr. Dan to talk about some of the vaccination data. Dr. Dan? Yeah, thank you, Kristen. Um, so uh, this slide really is a data slide that um, highlights the flu vaccination rates um, by age. And if you look over the past 11 years, based on this CDC data, you can see on the y-axis, we have the percentage of those vaccinated. On the x-axis, you have the um, years up um, to 2021. The highlight is uh, that when you look at these um, by age, um, it seems to be, or at least the data demonstrates that the ages over 65 and above um, seem to get vaccinated more, or at least have a higher percentage of vaccination rates, which kind of makes sense because they're also the age that is at most risk 
um, in most cases with um, influenza, um, uh, influenza infection. Um, when you look at the other age groups, especially the younger age groups, 18 to 49, they are at the lowest, um, usually running about 25 to 30% in terms of vaccination rate. All of the, um, the ages, if you look at the 2017 to 2018 period, had a dip um, uh, during a short period of time where uh, there were low vaccination rates. Maybe this is reflecting, this is speculation, of course, this is uh, reflecting a lower uh, prevalence of influenza at that time, um, or maybe the pre preceding year in terms of the amount of flu cases. We'll have to review back at that data. But the bottom line is that based on the age, um, they are at higher risk, and, and that's the age group that tends to get um, vaccinated against influenza. Our target, when we want to discuss this in further detail, or at least change behavior, needs to be those um, younger populations, the 50 to 64 and the 18 to 49, to be able to target to try and move them up on that y-axis, meaning trying to get them at a higher percentage rate of vaccination. Next slide, please. And when you look at this data again, um, this is the data that shows the flu vaccination rates by state. Um, so uh, feel free to look for your state on this list. It goes from uh, Wyoming all the way to Rhode Island. Um, and uh, I see my state uh, over there and we're doing okay. Um, but bottom line is again, it's usually running anywhere between the uh, 40s to 60% um, in terms of vaccination rates which has kind of stayed steady over a 10 year period. You can even look at the bar graphs and see if you draw a mean in between there, somewhere in between um, about 50% are getting vaccinated um, in terms of coverage by state. Again, if you want to target an area, um, it's pretty much the information um, to all states. Uh, no one is perfect. Um, the outstanding states seem to be New Hampshire, uh, Boston and uh, Rhode Island. So next slide. And looking at flu vaccination rates by race and ethnicity, which is very important to us over the past 11 years, you can see that definitely our white non-Hispanic uh, colleagues and uh, uh, seem to uh, get vaccinated more, either due to more information um, or more access uh, to vaccines. Um, the population that seems to suffer more not being able to get uh, uh, the vaccine as much are the Hispanic populations followed by the Black non-Hispanic population. Uh, so that's really um, evidence for the inequities. Now, how they are or what are those factors? Um, we, we've done some research, a lot of research and a lot of publication on this, um, looking at is it access to information? Um, how their healthcare provider actually explains information to them? Is uh, there enough health literacy around the issue? Um, what are the communities? Are we putting vaccines in those communities? Are we pushing the message? All those things. So there are many things to um, address, but definitely race is an issue and access. Um, and uh, it, it is that discrepancy and it continues throughout. If you look at it over the period of time, it really has stayed steady within that uh, range that only less than 40% are really getting vaccinated. And we need to target that population. We're seeing the same thing with uh, COVID um, vaccine also. So this is something that's continuing throughout the um, country. Um, and we're trying to make sure we address that. Next slide. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Dan, Kristen, and the NMQF. It's truly an honor to be here on behalf of the Heart Rhythm Society. Uh, as stated, 
uh, our mission is really to end suffering from heart rhythm disturbances. And atrial fibrillation is the most common arrhythmia that we treat as heart rhythm specialists. Just to give you some background, atrial fibrillation will afflict one in four Americans in their lifetime. So it is a very common cardiac arrhythmia and it is associated with significant symptoms, stroke, and associated with death as well. Now, how is this related to influenza and flu vaccination? Well, if you look at the data, atrial fibrillation in this 2016 study of over 10,000 patients was associated with influenza infection. So there was an increased risk of 18% in patients who were infected with influenza, suggesting that influenza can cause or exacerbate atrial fibrillation. Not only that, but this study actually looked at vaccination, so protecting individuals from influenza, and vaccination was associated with a decreased risk of atrial fibrillation. So this gives a lot of biologic plausibility to the fact that, uh, that influenza can cause atrial fibrillation or can be associated with atrial fibrillation and that protecting from influenza with vaccination can decrease the risk of atrial fibrillation, which again is our most common cardiac arrhythmia that we treat. Next slide. So in summary, the risk is reduced with flu vaccination, suggesting that we should all get our flu vaccination. Now, next slide. What are the recommendations? Well, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices recommends that a routine annual flu vaccination is recommended in all individuals aged six months who do not have a contraindication and where vaccine supply is not limited. And I think this data really lends credence to the aspect of protecting ourselves from influenza and perfect, protecting ourselves from heart rhythm disturbance. So please do speak to your doctor if you have any questions about how the influenza vaccination can protect you from both this condition and heart rhythm disturbances. Thank you, Dr. Sue. You both did wonderful going through the data for our listeners and our audience. I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that we can talk about some of the questions that you may have heard or that your patients may have asked you. Some of those questions have also been pre-submitted to NMQF. Um, so we'll go ahead and start with the first one and feel free for both of you to answer. Um, what can physicians do to promote flu vaccinations to their patients with heart rhythm disorders or disturbances? Dr. Sue, I'll start with you. Yeah, so we are oftentimes interacting with our patients on many different levels. Uh, obviously we're seeing them in clinic uh, some of us are performing procedures on our patients. So there's a lot of face time and clinic time uh, and uh, patient-doctor relationship. So note, noting that, uh, that we're involved in these patients' lives and their care and their health care in total, I think being cognizant that certain aspects, especially in this time uh, with infection, can increase the risk of heart rhythm disturbances, that counseling them and encouraging them to get the proper vaccinations uh, particularly at this time and other times, is really advantageous for their overall health. So uh, my suggestion to other physicians, both heart rhythm specialists and not, are really to take those opportunities uh, with their patients to uh, promote their overall health 
which obviously lends um, importance to specifically heart rhythm disturbances and reducing the risk of that, uh, particularly with influenza vaccination. Dr. Dan, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think um, that's uh, spot on. Uh, awesome. It's really about um, education, putting their information um, and sharing it with uh, the patients, um, sharing it also with our colleagues, as uh, Dr. Sue mentioned. Very important. Absolutely. So we spoke briefly about um, those who may have contraindications and talking with their doctor. Is there any instance, I know that people are very apprehensive about vaccinations, flu vaccinations, COVID-19 vaccinations. Are there any instances where you would not promote a flu vaccination to your patients just to ease their minds? Dr. Dan, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, so they're really, um not many um, instances. I mean, I'm trying to think of anywhere we wouldn't recommend uh, flu vaccination. And literally, it's usually if there's a contraindication, meaning there's a reason um, uh, against giving that uh, vaccine, such as an allergy to a component, something that's in the vaccine. Well, pretty much there's nothing. It used to be the issue of um, uh, egg yolks, or if you had an allerg uh, allergy to eggs, that's gone. So that's not the issue um, with the vaccine. So some people still have that um, thought or um, understanding, which is not correct. So uh, it's really, if you really do have reactions to getting the vaccine, then you probably should obviously talk to your doctor. But there's not really any instance where we wouldn't recommend it. Of course, if you're outside the age group, but guess what? We're not talking to little kids who are less than six months. Um, so um, I think the, those will be uh, the main thing. So it, it really is promoted uh, to reduce the risk, not only of heart disease um, and arrhythmias, as we have discussed, but many other risks and complications that are untoward that we may see. And as we saw in the data, um, there, there, there's a certain part of the population, a significant amount that needs to actually increase their flu vaccination. Thank you, Dr. Dan. Dr. Sue, do you have any additional comments um, for, especially for your patients with heart rhythm disturbances that may be a little apprehensive? Is there any time where you would not recommend a flu vaccination for them? Yeah, I think to try to make it easier for patients, it's really helpful just to think about uh, in total how to think about flu vaccination. Really, almost everyone should get uh, influenza vaccination should be the summary uh, recommendation. Uh, as Dr. Dan stated, really the only circumstance where one probably could consider not or should consider not getting a vaccination for influenza would be specifically an allergy or severe allergy to the components in the, in the influenza vaccination. Otherwise, to make it simple for, I think, physicians counseling their patients and patients in general, the best overall summary is to think everybody should get an influenza vaccination. And we can see some of the specific benefits in heart rhythm disturbances and protecting from that. But let's be honest, uh, outside of that, it's overall health that we're protecting from and, and their overall well-being. And that's really what we're trying to help with in total. A heart rhythm disturbance is only a, a small part of that that we're focusing on today. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Sue. So I want to switch gears really quickly because Dr. Dan, you mentioned something when you were going through the flu vaccination data 
um, about younger people not having possible, possibly not having access to the vaccination or simply not being vaccinated for several other reasons. How do we get younger people on board and specifically to our conversation, if we're talking about those individuals living with a heart rhythm disturbance, how do we get the people at that intersection of being young and with this chronic illness on board as well? Yeah, thank you for that. I, I think um, it is a challenge. Um, don't have all the answers. Uh, it is important to be able to engage them, but how do we engage? Well, there are many ways. Um, one that I think is important and I definitely partake in is meeting them where they are. So how do we meet them where they are? We find where they go or what they like or what they listen to. So for example, hip hop would be definitely a way um, to engage uh, the younger population. It's a hip hop generation. Um, I grew up on hip hop too. Um, and I think it's a way to um, uh, uh, disarm and to embrace uh, health information. And in fact, we're doing that through different projects um, uh, we did with ATL Hip Hop um, that I worked on uh, with some other uh, colleagues. Uh, so I think that's one way to, to get to where they are. I think at schools, definitely uh, a proper place, uh, be it working with the um, with the colleges um, and the school, the school nurses um, and uh, institutions as a partnership during their fun events or orientations and things like that. Uh, the education around it has to be fun, uh, interactive, but also informational so they actually understand their risks um, and how they can uh, protect themselves and their colleagues. Universities, institutions and other outlets also need to make uh, some of these required as they um, want to reduce risk for their community, especially anywhere where there's large communities and large gatherings where they can share inf information and also they can share infection. Um, those will be the areas I would uh, target. Uh, and maybe even barbershops here, dresser salons, um, anything where they want to be at or where they will be, malls, uh, movie theaters. I mean, there's so many things, opportunities where we can target certain parts of the population, special events, sporting events, those types of things. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Dan. Dr. Sue, this next question I wanted to ask you, um, particularly about your patients. We, we see oftentimes that patients feel rather intimidated when they're talking to their doctors about anything because you guys are professionals, you're respected, you have a certain prestige that come along with just being a doctor, you know? Um, so how do you create an environment that is empowering for patients to ask you questions as it relates to, like you said, their overall health or especially flu vaccinations? Yeah, I think specifically with a patient and doctor relationship, obviously, uh, as a specialist, we're oftentimes focusing on heart rhythm disturbances as the main reason why they're seeing us in clinic or having a procedure done. That being said, I think taking time at the end of an interaction to ask if a patient has any specific questions about their condition or their overall health really empowers them hopefully to uh, take that time to open up to their clinician and ask any other questions that they have um, in total about their health, whether it be related to influenza, vaccination, or anything. I know certainly in, in this area, era of COVID, uh, you know, taking that time in, in clinic to, to allow for those questions certainly has, has given uh, a lot in, in my own personal interactions and opening up a patient to me in clinic. And, um, you know, 
utilizing that long-standing relationship with the patient to have them ask anything about their health that, that one could help them with, I think is important. And, you know, not only that, other, other metrics, whether it's your patient or interacting with other individuals to help people open up or ask questions. You know, social media nowadays uh, outside of the clinic is very powerful, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And I think getting a lot of that information out there, um, whether they're your patient or not, is, is really helpful for overall education. Absolutely. Um, I completely agree. I think, you know, as a specialist, like you said, sometimes you don't get to handle all the things that a PCP might handle. Um, so with Dr. Sue's comments on empowering patients, Dr. Dan, we talk a lot also about other barriers to flu vaccination, including health literacy and really using um, lay language as a way to build trust. So how do you do that with your patients? And is there any, are there any particular ways that you um, see questions answered by yourself or other physicians for patients who are really apprehensive about getting a flu vaccination? Um, yeah, thank you. I believe it is important to be able to use terms that people understand. I think it's also important to find terms that are and phrases that they can relate to, um, that they can associate with, uh, make it make sense for them, so to speak. Um, and it's not dumbing down, it's really just making it clear. The less complex it is, it's already a big decision uh, for a lot of people to make, to inject something into their body. So we wanna make it as easy and as simple um, uh, for them. Uh, so example, maybe even relating it to food, to their environment and things like that. And maybe showing the relevance, I think is important. Uh, health literacy is about giving people the public health information they need that's tangible, timely, um, simple, uh, and digestible so that they can then make an informed decision um, with that information. You are basically empowering patients. Uh, and you're just the conduit or their quick glossary um, or reference um, to give them a primer or at least some understanding of what it, what the situation is, what the risks are, and they can now weigh the risk benefit in a more appropriate way. So I think it is important to um, engage them in that way, but making it simple. Um, so it's just using simple terms as best as you can, try not to use medical jargon, engaging, making eye contact, doing all the things we normally do as normal bedside matter. Um, and we can do that on social media, we can do that on different outlets and during the patient encounter on a Zoom call, just as we are, or whatever outlet, uh, but it's still just getting the, the right information in digestible, understandable manner and little chunks of information, but enough to help them make a decision. And also ascertaining if they have questions. We have to sometimes take a step back and listen. We're not always um, going to be uh, just spewing out information like a fire hose and we shouldn't be um, more of a dictator. Um, we have to listen to the patient, uh, listen, listen, and then speak for impact, so to speak. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned shared decision-making. I think 
with the addition of COVID-19 vaccines throughout this pandemic, people feel as though communities have been telling us specifically that they don't feel like they have a decision. They don't feel like they have a say that if they don't want to get the vaccine, then they're deemed as, you know, of lesser intelligence or something of the other sort. And I, I think that's the last thing we want to do. Um, so thank you for that. I also am really appreciative that you both mentioned social media as a tactic for spreading evidence-based and evidence-informed information. One really quick um, thing that I wanted to tackle was a little bit of misinformation out there. So we hear about myocarditis with the COVID vaccine, and now we're starting to hear that all vaccines give you a heart problem. Um, and that's simply not the truth. So why don't we dispel that right now? Um, Dr. C, you can start. Should we be concerned about heart rhythm disturbances from getting the COVID-19 vaccine, booster, or the flu vaccination? So yeah, let, it's always challenging to make overarching, uh, sweeping statements. Uh, that being said, the best way to address this specific issue is, is to talk about in summary. And the overwhelming data would suggest that getting a COVID vaccination or COVID booster does not significantly or uh, specifically impact your risk of a major cardiovascular heart disturbance. So although there may be reports and specific cases of this occurring, uh, the overarching summary is that the benefits of vaccination far, far outweigh any specific heart rhythm, cardiovascular, or other type of risk associated with the vaccination itself. So I, we understand the concerns. There's further research in the area specific about cardiovascular concerns associated with these vaccinations. But again, really to speak to the overall summary is uh, in patients' mind and how to communicate that to patients is really that the benefits of vaccination far, far outweigh specific risks. Thank you, Dr. Sue. Dr. Dan, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think I think it's also important. Um, I agree with everything Dr. Sue said. I would say it's also important to realize that uh, those who have had some type of inflammation around their heart related to at least the COVID vaccine, uh, pretty much all recovered, nobody died. Um, I think that's important, especially as it relates to the adolescents and uh, teens um, that have, uh, that, that's been associated with it, in, including the adults. Um, I think the other part is that, uh, just as Dr. Sue said, so most of the myocardial or heart-related inflammation that sometimes may happen is usually transient, meaning it's a short period of time, it's mild, they recover, that's the bottom line. But that risk is extremely little, just like he said. Um, and really, actually, when you get the virus itself without the vaccination, the real disease, that's when you have the high risk of getting heart problems. So you want to avoid that. Um, so it's kind of total opposite ends. Uh, so vaccines should be helpful. Um, and the real disease can definitely give you heart problems. Don't speak. Thank you both. I truly appreciate that. Again, the benefits of the vaccine far outweigh the risks of getting some sort of heart rhythm disorder or disturbance. Um, 
that is all of our pre-submitted questions. I'd like to turn it over to both you, Dr. Sue and Dr. Dan. Are there any other questions that you think your patients or your colleagues and peers in medicine may be having or may be hearing that you want answered today? Are there any last thoughts or comments? Yeah, I can speak up. Uh, you know, sometimes we get the question of, can we get the COVID vaccination and the flu vaccination at the same time, or should we worry about that? Um, just to speak to that, I, I think, again, ma making summary statements or overarching statements can be helpful and just say, just please get vaccinated. And, you know, whether it's the same time or whatever's convenient for you, I think, as we state, the, the benefit overall based on the research and science would suggest getting these vaccinations far away, any risk associated with the vaccination can protect you from both of these illnesses. So please do. Awesome. Dr. Dan, any final comments? Nope, nothing at all. I think we, we said it all. Dr. Sue summarized it. Done. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for your time and attention today. Thank you for walking us through the data and answering some of those burning questions. We truly appreciate it. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us. You can email me personally, actually, at khobbs at nmqf.org. Um, and I will funnel those questions to Dr. Sue or Dr. Dan if you have them. And thank you so much. Have a great holiday season, however you celebrate. Bye-bye.